Good morning. Welcome to LifePoint today. If you're here for the first time, my name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor. I'd love to meet you after the service. Rob Perry, one of our other pastors, and I will be right down front afterwards, and we would like to meet you and say hello, get to know a little bit about what got you here at LifePoint today. We are in a series that about a year and a half ago, we started as a team talking about, hey, what if we did a series where we went through the entire Bible? We just start at the beginning and we go to the end. And we found this resource called The Story, which is a chronological Bible that's got the core stories of Scripture from beginning all the way to the end. So about 17 weeks ago, we started in Genesis at the beginning of time. We're going to go all the way through, and you may start feeling like, man, they are going to go to the end of time with this thing. But we're going to finish up sometime in May with the, with the way the Bible talks about the end of time. If you've missed any parts of this story, you can go on our website, lifepointchurch.com slash the story, and you can get lots of resources on there. You can go right out at our cafe today and pick up a copy of one of the books called The Story, which is just uh, the text of scripture arranged in a chronological way. Because if you open up the Bible and you start to read it, it's not long until it starts to get confusing and this happened and then this happened again and then they're talking about this later and, and it kind of gets a little confusing because the Bible's not arranged chronologically. Now it does start out in the beginning, so you would think maybe it is, but it's not. It's arranged more topically. So there's books of history, uh, books of poetry, books of prophecy, and all of those talk about this one big story of God in pursuit for the hearts of people. So here we are about halfway through the story, and we're going to take a look back today and look back at what have we learned about God so far in this journey? And also, what have we learned about man? What have we learned about ourselves so far in this journey called the story? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you, just think about it, had plans for your life or have plans for your life? Now, if you've lived long enough just to plan, and kids start planning at a very young age, so you started having these plans, what you wanted to be when you grew up, where you might want to live, the kind of person you might want to marry, what you want to do for a career, where you want to go to school, you start making those plans about the kind of life you're going to have and the kind of person you're going to be. But then life starts happening, and then plans get off track. Maybe new opportunities that we didn't see before come in front of us, so we change a plan. Or maybe something happens to us that we didn't anticipate, and we have to change our plan. Or maybe we made a huge mistake, a huge judgment, error judgment, and we have to change our plan. Well, today I want to talk about the plan that God had for us and how we live in the plan that God has for us. Because when we look back at God, one thing's for sure. He has a plan for us. He has a plan for people. He has a plan for his relationship with people. And it starts out right at the beginning of the Bible, making it clear that he does have a plan. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. Yours to keep if you would like it, or you can borrow it and leave it in the back. You can also just read the scriptures on the screen as they're displayed up there today. So this story of everything that we're going through starts with a person, a being, and that is God. So it starts in the beginning with God. And we have a choice 
on how we respond to that phrase, in the beginning, God. Some people believe in the beginning something else, not God. Now, those are two views that, that honest people hold. Those are two views that nice people hold. And those are two dominant views in our world. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, something else. Now, if you've followed the news in the past week, there's a huge debate about the existence of God, creation versus evolution and all that. And really what they're doing, whether, whether they were effective at it or not, what they were trying to do was determine where people are going to put their faith. You either put your faith in, well, there was this explosion and there was this uh, thing just happened because it was just kind of there. And that's what I believe in, that all these gases kind of got together at just the right time and exploded. And that's where I'm going to put my faith. And then there's another group of people who say, no, 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 I'm going to put my faith in. There's this all-knowing, all-powerful, great being called God that spoke it all into existence. Both require lots of faith. Because there's some old people around here, but you weren't there. You didn't see it. So our choice as we look at, at, at the evidence is, do I want to believe in God or gas? It's one of the two. So either God spoke it all into existence or somehow this gastric explosion made it all happen. So we believe, and we're teaching that, God is who spoke it into existence because in Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that word for created is a word that's only used two times in Scripture. It's a Hebrew word. We translate it created, but it, it has a little more meaning behind it. And it's only used to refer to God. And it's only used to refer when something is created from nothing. So we are, we are creative people. We create art. We create other people. We create music. We create lots of things. But one thing we cannot do is create something where there's nothing. There's nothing there. If I want something there, I can't make it happen. Only God can do that. And it's important that we understand that because it sets God apart. It puts him above. It makes him different. And we can debate whether or not, well, how long did it take? Was it really seven days it took to create the earth? Or was, is that just, you know, is that figurative language? What is it? People a lot smarter than me can debate that. But the point is, the most important point is, who did it? And why he did it. So God creates this world. He creates people. And he has a plan. And his plan is that he is going to dwell with his creation. That's what he wants to do. So he creates this paradise. He creates people. He gives them the choice whether or not they obey him. So he knows they are really loving him. And clearly, as we get into this story of God and people, we see this big divide that starts to spread from God's plan and God's desire and what he wanted for people, and then people not obeying God, people not listening to God, people turning away from God, people rebelling against God, and then this gap starts to form. And God is here, and God is saying, I want to be with people, but people keep moving further away. And moving further away. And God does everything he can to get back to them. But, but they just keep moving further away and moving further away. So the first thing that we 
learned, and you would learn if you picked up your Bible and started reading, is pretty simple. God is. He just is. The best English translation for what they called God in the Old Testament, which was I am, is the word be. God just be. God just is. He just is always there. God is in control. God is all-powerful. God knows what's going on in your life. God is full of love. God has a way out for us. God just is. That's one big thing we discover about him when we start to open up his word and read it. There's some other things we can discover a lot about our creator. And in 25 minutes, there's no way I could go through them all. But I think most of them can be summed up in this one statement. If you're taking notes, write this down. God pursues a connection with people. That's what God does. God is in hot pursuit of a relationship and a connection with people, with his creation. And as you read the story, you can see that over and over again as God, as God gave them second chances, third chances, hundredth chances, as God delivered them. And when they were lost, he gave them guidance. When they were hungry, he gave them food. When they needed direction and protection, he gave them some rules to live by. And every decision that God made, every action that God took was in an effort to rebuild a relationship, to start a relationship, or to heal a broken one. All of that can be brought back to the idea that God wants people to love him, to accept him, to obey him. And through the prophet Isaiah, God describes, this is what I've done for people. Hosea chapter 11, verse 4. He says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. And what God is saying, I'm so concerned with having a relationship with people that I got down on their level. Before I became a parent, I wanted to do it right. So I asked my friends that had kids, hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you make sure this happens? How do you, and I had this one guy in my life that a little bit older than me, and I was really impressed when I saw his kids, and, and I thought, that's what I want my kids to be like. So I asked him one day, tell me some things that you do. Just give me the top two or three things. And he gave me some things to do, especially after I knew it was going to be daughters, and he told me, this is what you should do. And one thing that stuck with me that I, that I practiced as our girls were growing was that he said, always get down, Donnie, and look them in the eye. Get, don't, don't speak down to them. Like Get down on their level and speak to them where they can look you in the eye. And so I would do that. When they were little and either I had to discipline them or I had to communicate something to them, I would just, I would come over to them, I would put, put my hands on their shoulder, and I would get down and I would speak directly to them. Our, our youngest, who is, she's like, she's a queen of one-liners, like at home anyway. She's just like, has these one-liners. I can remember she's about this tall, and I got down, and I said, Abby, Daddy really loves you. And it was just silent. She said, you're really weird. (laughs) It's like, okay, so the response is, when God gets down on our level, we're not always going to respond the way he wants us to. Another time, I was down looking at her right in the eye. I said, Abby, and I forget what it was. I think it was some disciplinary thing I was having to talk to her about. And she listened for a second, and her comment was, you have really bad breath. And I was like, so, so God wants to get down on our level. We don't always respond the way God wants us to. 
But God is still in this relentless pursuit to be down on our level, letting us feel his presence, letting us feel him looking us in the eye face to face. And he goes on in this section of scripture to say, even though I did all that, even though I got down on your level, even though I, I tried to lead you as, as a father would lead children and, and let you feel my love, even though I did all that, you still walked away from me. You still walked in another direction. And so the gap between God and people kept growing further and further. In fact, it grew so far, the gap between God and people, that people began to look around and worship other gods and think, well, maybe that's not the only God. Maybe there's another one that can give us what we want. And so the gap continued to grow until we're up to the point where God's chosen nation that he chose to pull out of all the nations of the world and love them and work through them and eventually birth a savior through them to where that nation has gotten so far away from God, they've split into two, and now they're taken back into captivity. Assyrian captivity, Babylonian captivity, it's all recorded in the Old Testament. And, and so here's God's people who he rescued from Egyptian bondage. They're right back in bondage again. The very thing he rescued them from, they have gotten themselves right back into it and that wasn't the plan. That wasn't God's plan. That was not the nation's plan. That's just what ended up happening because they kept making decisions that pulled them further and further away from God. So that's where we left the story last week was this, this divided nation of God's people who couldn't get along with each other or anybody else. And they couldn't have been further from God they broke God's standards over and over and over again. And it seems desperate. It seems like, are people that dumb? Are people never going to get it right? And then through prophets, words of hope start to be spoken. Things that would make people say, okay, now God's coming back. Something's going to be different. And God figured out that all of his effort to be gracious towards man Man still just said, nope, you stay over there. I'm going to stay over here and do it my way. And then God sends the prophet Jeremiah to share these words with his people. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So what God is saying, the gap that exists between God and people is about to be bridged. There's about to be this, this way for people to really get into that relationship with God that he has desired all along. There's about to be a way 
for a covenant between God and people that God had in mind way back when he said, let there be light. And God is saying there's a new covenant coming. Now, we know, many of us know, maybe all of us know, well, that new covenant is Jesus Christ. That's what's coming. And when Jesus sat with his disciples in the scene you just heard Joel talk about for communion, and he shared with them this meal of bread and wine, and, and the, one of the first things out of his mouth when he's sitting there around that table with them is, this is the new covenant. Now, everybody around that table that day would have realized Hey, Jeremiah said there was going to be a new covenant. And here's Jesus saying this is the new covenant. That's why communion is so powerful. It's because it's the way we remember. The way we remember how God bridged the gap in a person, Jesus Christ. God says, I'm going to have a new covenant. And everybody will be able to know me. Because I'm going to move from the temple. And I'm going to create lots of temples. Because I'm going to live and dwell in people's hearts. And that's what this whole story keeps coming back to, is God's effort to win the hearts and minds of people and dwell there. That's the best part of the story. Because as we read, it starts to feel desperate, like people are never going to get it right. They're going to keep making mistakes. But then God comes along and says, I'm going to make this new covenant. That's what we've learned about God is, is he will pursue the hearts of people constantly. And that's what he does even today. Now, what have we learned about people as we've gone through this first part of the Bible? Well, the big thing we've learned about people is that lots of things. But one of the big things is we, we long for meaning. We long for purpose. And because of that, we find ourselves looking lots of places for it. Because we want meaning and we want purpose in our lives, we look everywhere we can to find it. But see, God wants to connect with you in a way that brings meaning and purpose to your life. Think a minute about your deepest need, whatever that is. For many people, it's acceptance or peace or, or, or just forgiveness, giving it or receiving it. But what is your deepest need God wants to connect with you right there. He wants to meet you right there. When people share with me that they're full of anxiety or pain or regret, I almost always say, read 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Think about your biggest mistake, the dumbest thing you ever did. Think about it. Oh, I can't did that cannot believe i did that something that you're carrying around letting it beat you up over and over again god wants to meet you right there and relieve you of that guilt of that mistake and that pain even if the guilt and pain happened to you you had nothing to do with god still says i want to meet you there think about your greatest search what you've been doing in life to look for meaning and god says i can meet you there and give you meaning and purpose. See, everybody gets to the place, some, at some point in life, everybody gets to the place where they realize God is over there and I'm over here. What am I going to do? Now, you, I'm going to assume you have some interest in God because you're here today. 
I didn't see anybody coming in here against their will. Well, there was one little kid being dragged in. I was looking out my office window. His mom was dragging him in. I prayed for you, ma'am. I saw that out there. I saw the whole thing. So other than him, other than him, I think, I would assume that all of you are here because you want to learn something about God, make a connection with God, or understand something, or experience something. So I'm just going to assume that. And when you assume that, we have to understand that all of us get to the place in life where we realize God's over there, and I'm over here, and I need to, I need to do something. I remember being at that point in my life when I realized I am not connected with God. There's a huge distance between me and my life and the way I live and God and his desires for me. And I recognize that. You may recognize it today and maybe you need to take a step. You may remember it when you re remember that or when you realize that in life. People respond differently when they come to that realization that I'm not connected with God. God's over there and I'm over here. Some people just take a hike. They just run in the other direction. They just say, uh, uh, it's too much. I'm going to ignore this. I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm going to keep going after my thing, searching for my purpose. God, you stay over there. I don't want it. They ignore it and run in the other direction. Now, you're probably, that's probably no one in this room because you're here. You're not running in the other direction. You're at least taking a step to try to make a connection. Some people, when they realize there's this huge gap between them and God, they think, okay, I got I to gotta work really hard. I got to work really hard to get over there where God is. And some of the dangers of growing up in church is that's what you learned. You learn that if I do the right things and take the right steps and, and have all the right results in my life, then I'm over here with God and everything's great. And if I'm a good person, if I make all the right decisions, if I, if I stand up, I'm supposed to stand up, sit down, I'm supposed to sit down, drink, eat, do all that when I'm supposed to do that, then God is pleased with me. If I confess when I'm supposed to confess, if I ask for forgiveness when I'm supposed to ask, then God must be really pleased with me. The problem with that is... You can do all of that stuff, and while living right, obeying rules, being a good dad, a good husband, an honest person, all of that brings honor to God and are great things to do. They don't get you closer to God. They don't do anything to help bridge the gap. While they might make God look great and make people say, wow, God, look how God's working in their life. It doesn't make you closer to God because you do all of those things. And what we have to do, especially in our culture, is to dismiss what our culture teaches us that's right. And that is, hey, if you're really good, you should be rewarded. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're smart, you should get the good grades. If you're better on the field, you should get the starting position. If you're better than the guy in the cube next to you, you should get the promotion. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Working hard should net us some rewards here. But forget that when you're trying to bridge this gap and have a connection with God. Because all of that, if God's over there and I'm over here, all of that it might get me this much and that's it. And there's still this huge gap. God knew that. He knew that that's what we would try to do. In Isaiah chapter 64, he says this. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. 
Like the wind, our sins sweep us away. That's discouraging because I do some really good stuff. I, I mean, if I had more time, I'd tell you about it. And I pat myself on the back. I, re- I do. Ask my wife. I really do some good stuff. But God says, yeah, but that doesn't really get you closer to me. Thank you for doing it. It brings honor and glory to God, of course, when you do good stuff. And you should do that. But it doesn't really bridge that gap that needs to be bridged between you and me. There's a third way you can respond when you realize that gap is there. You can admit that you need help. Anybody that's ever dealt with an addiction in their life, where's the first step of healing begin? When you admit you have a problem. When you admit you need help. When you admit that, hey, this is a mess and I can't fix it. I need someone to come alongside me and help me. I've recommended many couples and told, recommended to them to go to a marriage counselor because there was something going on in their marriage that was, the conflict was so high or the disappointment was so great that somebody needed to come alongside them and help them get through it. So when we realize there's a gap between us and God, the only response that's going to get us into that relationship with God is admitting that we need help. And you might think, I'm tough. I beat all the sales last quarter. I beat everybody. I can run faster. I can jump. I'm better than everybody else. I get more grades. I get the better job. I get all the promotions. That's me. And you may think, I don't really need help. Here's what you need to write this down. This just came to me. It's not even on the screen, all right? You need help because you sin. When it comes to bridging the gap between you and God, you need help because you sin. That's why you need help. That's why you can't do it on your own. That's why you can't do enough good stuff for God to say, well, look at him. He's so good. Let him on in. But Come on over here with me because you're so darn good. You're better than everybody else. You get closer. The person's not as good doesn't get as close. You need help. Because you mess up. You make mistakes. In fact, it says that in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. It says, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That says, here's the way to bridge this gap. God has this standard that exists over there where God is, and it's really high. It's called perfection. That's God's standard. We can't be perfect, so what do we do? Because we always fall short of his standard. We get with the person who is perfect, and that's Jesus. That's why it's so important to bring all this story back to the one who can make us perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. So when you make mistakes and when you goof up, it's like, hey, I'm with, I'm with Jesus. I'm with him. Well, why'd you do that? I'm with Jesus. Ask him. I don't know. I got a friend that a couple times when I've been to Spanish-speaking countries, uh, he's gone with me. And the biggest reason I paid for him to go with me was because I can't speak Spanish, and he can. He's Cuban and grew up in South Miami. He can speak Spanish. 
And so when we're in the airport and people are starting to ask me questions, ask me if I want to buy stuff or, or we're you know, trying to get the bus and all that's figured out what we're going to do and I don't understand what anybody's saying, I just say, hey, I'm with him right there. Ask him. And that's how it is with Jesus. I'm with him. He'll speak for me. He'll, he'll, he'll take care of me. And Jesus' response is, oh, all the grace and love and mercy I've given to them so they can be in this relationship with God. Now, when I say that, some of you are like, yep, missed out on that. I want that. I'll be right down after the service to talk to you. That's how some people react. I want, to, I want that bridge, gap bridged, and I will. Absolutely. What does it mean to trust in Christ? Come, let me come down, and you tell me about it. I would love to do that. Some people are like, eh, I need to just think about that a little bit, and that's okay. Everybody kind of walks at a different pace and arrives at a different time. But, but even, even if you're a little skeptical, that's okay. Keep asking questions. But today you can say, I want to bridge this gap. I, I want to stop running the other direction. I want to stop trying to do it all and make myself look good. I, I, I want to bridge this gap through having a relationship with Christ. Now, if you don't know what that means, that's why we say come down and talk to us after the service. But what you need to know about that decision that you make is that it's irrevocable. That you, you, you can never be disconnected from God's love. You can never be disconnected from God when you make that decision to say, I'm with Jesus. He'll speak for me. It says that in the Bible. Romans chapter 8 says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, you may have had a plan today to just come to church and go home. And I've I'm appealing to you to consider changing that plan if you see this big gap between you and God. And changing that plan for you might mean I need to, I need to come down after service and talk to one of the pastors and say, hey, I, I really need in on this. Tell me where to start. What do I need to do? We know how to do this. We know how to tell you this. We, this is why we do what we do. So we can have those kinds of conversations. Whether you're a teenager or you're way, way, way past teenage years, doesn't matter. Come and talk to us and we can guide you through what that means to say, I'm with Jesus. And some of you might be right on the edge of making that decision. I just want to, you know, give you a boost. Give you a push. Push you on over. Some of you need to take that step today and enjoy living in God's grace. Enjoy living where God really wants you to be. Enjoy living guilt-free and all the baggage that you've carried around through life. Let him just take it and say, I'm with Jesus. For some of you, that means start that journey. For others of you who followed Christ, for many years, and you hear us talk about baptism, we're having a baptism service today. And if you haven't taken that step and you think, well, I'm in, you say I'm in a relationship with God, then why haven't you? It's time to do it. There's no reason not to. We got the heater to work this time, so it's heated water. <laughs> and we have extra shorts and all the stuff that you need to, to get dressed for baptism. You don't have to go home. You can just hang out and wait until the baptism service starts. Some of you need to take that step. There's a step today for everybody here. Maybe your step is, I know somebody over there, and if I could go share this with them, I could help them get 
in where God wants them to be. Maybe that's your step. Everybody can take a step. What's yours? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for showing us who you are and what you want us to be. God, I pray for the person right now that's on the edge of their seat of saying, yeah, I do want to be with Jesus. And I do want to bridge that gap so I can be where he ultimately wants me to be. God, I pray you just give them the strength and the courage after the service just to come and talk. And God, I pray for the people who haven't yet made the decision to follow you in baptism. I pray that you would just help them courageously step forward and say, yes, I want to make my faith public. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.